Well, good morning again. I want to tell you a story of uh, two men who had plans for the evening, and the plans were very similar. But at the end of the evening, both men felt really different about what had taken place. For one man, he was sad and felt cursed. For the other man, he was happy and felt blessed. Let's talk about these two men. So these were the plans that they made for the evening. They invited family and friends to a restaurant. And the first man said, I want you all to order anything you want from the menu, and I'll take care of it. And so, you know, the, the plates came out and, and various items, various choices, glasses were filled, discussion ensued, laughter happened, and then finally, dessert and the bill. And when the bill came, the man took out his credit card and handed it to the waiter, went in the back, came back, I'm sorry, it's been refused. So he gave him another card, same result. Then a debit card, same result. Then, just at that moment, he got a call from his banker while he was sitting at the table. And his banker said, I have terrible news for you. Earlier in the day, all of your assets were frozen. You have no money. You are completely bankrupt. Needless to say, the man didn't know what to do. What he thought was going to be a wonderful experience turned out to be a curse and sadness. Second man, same scenario, invited family and friends to a restaurant. I want to take you out. I want us all to enjoy ourselves and order anything on the menu. I'll take care of it. Same thing, plates came Favorites, delicacies, glasses filled, discussion, laughter, great time, then dessert, and then the bill. Oh, I forgot to mention, before this man had gone into the restaurant, he had gotten a call from his banker. And his banker said to him, Beforehand, all of your assets are frozen. You have no money. You are bankrupt. But I have incredible news for you. An anonymous source has agreed to cover all of your debts. And tonight, 
for your family and friends, they can order anything they want and the bill has already been taken care of. How did that man feel? That man felt happy. <laughs> and he felt blessed. Why do I tell you that story? Because that is the message of the Sermon on the Mount. I've heard this many times before. I've, I've heard people say, you know, God doesn't care about your happiness. He's more interested in your holiness. I beg to differ. God wants his people to be happy. He wants them to be blessed. He wants them to go through life with confidence and joy. And, and when you read the Sermon on the Mount, I've been reading it for kind of like the last month. It's been on my heart and mind. The first ten verses all say, happy, happy, happy. We read it as blessed, but it's, but it's really interpreted literally happy. And then, and then here's what we don't understand. It says, happy, the first one, the very first beatitude is happy is the person who is poor in spirit. For his is the kingdom of heaven. That's that man. <laughs> What did he realize? He realized before the fact, before the bill came, he realized that he was bankrupt, that he had nothing to give. He couldn't, he couldn't pay. But he heard the good news that someone had actually filled up his account and made it possible. And so he recognized ahead of time his spiritual bankruptcy, and because of that, he was blessed. <laughs> he, he, the first man, left the restaurant in shock and fear and sadness. The second man left thinking, what a blessing. This could have been a disaster. I could have suffered the consequences and the repercussions for a long time. But instead, someone invested in me. And the good news is, I found out about it. That's, that's what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. When you read through it, I've been reading through it, so I just want to go over a little bit. But I, but I want to end up, especially in chapter 6, verses 24 through 34, and that's what's going to come up. That's what we're going to look at. But I want to get, just give you a, a quick summary because, because I want you to understand. My goal today is not that you walk out of here and say, well, that was a good message. That was interesting. 
My goal today is that you go, I have to go home and read the Sermon on the Mount. <laughs> I've got to go read this. I've got to find out what this is because, because I'm a child of God and this is talking to me. This, this is God directing me towards his promises. So, let me tell you a little bit about the Sermon on the Mount. Um, there's a whole crowd gathering. Jesus is at the, the top of the mount, more like just a large hill. If you've been to Israel, you've seen it. Jesus is on top. And, and there's a whole large crowd gathering. But, but he invites his disciples that he's chosen, he invites them to come near. So it's kind of like, it's like, let those men through. Let them gather close here. Because while I'm going to be giving this sermon and all of you are going to hear it, it's especially for them. Why is that important? Because it's especially for you. These, these are things, when, when you're not understanding how to live life or how life is working or why life isn't working, go to the Sermon on the Mount. And, and realize what God has to say to you, what Jesus has to say to you, is so completely different. And, and here's what Jesus is saying later on. He says, these people that I'm talking to, that I'm expecting to take these words and apply them, these are the people who will live the life that God had planned for everyone, especially coming into a fallen world. If there were no fall, you wouldn't need the Sermon on the Mount. But because of the fall and because all of the lies and the price tags that have been switched on what is right and what is wrong, you need to understand as the children of God that your life is going to look different. That what the world is going to strive after, you're going to reject. And what the world is going to reject, you're going to say, no, that's actually true. For instance, that very first verse. The world, the spirit of the world is, I can do it on my own. The poem Invictus, if you've ever read the poem Invictus. I am the captain of my fate. I'm in charge. It's, it's me. I can pull up myself by my bootstraps. I can do this. That's the message. That's the spirit of the world. Spirit of the world is, I can do it, and it's all about me. Here's what Jesus is saying. Blessed are those who are poor in that spirit. Who recognize their spiritual bankruptcy. Who know that they need help. And so, so when, when life doesn't work for me, I, I say... I can't do it, <laughs> Lord, I can't do it. And, and it's the testimony. Not that we're weak, not that we have no ability, no talent, but we have an absolute dependency 
on a power that the world knows nothing about. And, and here's what Jesus is saying. These people, see these men gathered here? They're going to take the message and they're going to live out the life that God has planned for all of his people in a fallen world. And here's what's going to happen. First, their inside is going to be different. They're going to be salt. <laughs> they're going to be salt and light, but before they're light, the worst thing in the world is to try to be light with no salt. And what is salt? It's your character. And what is your character? Your character is how you respond to life. That's what character is. Nobody's going to see your character this morning. You're not even going to see mine. Right? Because we're all on our best behavior, right? Aren't we? We're all on our best behavior. Nobody's, you know, if, if, if somebody elbows you on the way out, you're, you're going to go, it's okay. It's okay. But if somebody elbows you in the neighborhood or at work, you're going to go, what are you doing? See, that's your character. It's, it's how you respond to the things that come up in life. And, and for the people of God, we must develop salt. We've got to develop that preservative in us that causes us to respond differently. And then as a result of that, in this dark world, we cast light out into this world. So we have this, we have this inner quality of, of character. And then, and then that character is on display not, not, you know, we don't like draw up a game plan for that. We just do that. That's just what we do. When, when you go out, you have that salt in you, and that light goes out from you. And people see it. And they notice it. And Jesus says, and when they do... <laughs> Even they do what they were intended to do all along, which is to glorify your Father who is in heaven. So that's, that's what this is all about. It's, the Sermon on the Mount is a collection of spiritual and moral principles that Jesus expects from those who follow him to be moving towards. Now, I said before, a good father makes you do tough stuff. The Sermon on the Mount is the toughest stuff you're going to ever see. The Sermon on the Mount is so much harder than the Ten Commandments. For instance, the Ten Commandments, one of the commandments is don't commit adultery. The Sermon on the Mount is, <laughs> you have heard that it's been said, don't commit adultery. I'm telling you, don't even look on a man or a woman with lust in your heart. Because that's the seed form of adultery. So, so we're removing not just sin and the actions of sin. We're removing the presence, the seed of sin in our lives. So it's a collection of spiritual and moral principles that Jesus expects those who follow him to strive towards. Is that your goal? Is that your goal? I 
told you, I've been reading this for a month and I've been saying, Lord, I, I want this. I, I want to hunger and thirst after righteousness, Lord. That's what I want to be really hungry for. Three things about this message. This is part of what makes it so hard. Number one, it's countercultural. Not only is it not going to be reinforced in the world, it's actually going to be laughed at, diminished. L- looked upon like you're crazy. Nobody can do that. I've, I've even heard pastors say, the Sermon on the Mount is not for the age in which we live. It's for some future age after we're all perfect. It's countercultural. This is, this is important, and, and one of the reasons it's in here is it's impossible to do without the Holy Spirit in our lives. Can't do it. I can't do it. Because I read through it and I go, I can't do this. Love your enemies? Really? <laughs> and, and, and by the way, when we all hear love your enemies, it's, it's like, oh yeah, love your enemies. Yeah, love your enemies. I get that. Then, then somebody that you thought was a friend commits adultery, has sex with your wife, and blows up your life. And you're supposed to love them. By the way, that, that doesn't mean love is not giving everyone what they want. There's a tough side of love. But it means I'm going to do my best and I'm going to cancel debts. That's what I'm going to do. I'm canceling that debt. And then number three, it produces the happiest life. This is what you have to believe. Because all of this, you know, all the Sermon on the Mount, you know what it is? It's just a series of promises. Promises. And, and here's what Jesus is saying. You know the happiest person on the planet was in all of human history? You know the happiest person on the planet was? Jesus. We don't tend to think of him like that, but he's the most joyful person in the world. Why? Because his brain, his brain actually worked the way a brain is supposed to work. All this, you know what the Sermon on the Mount is? The Sermon on the Mount is Jesus telling you, if your brain was totally healthy, this is how you would see life. There's a couple of things that I I remember from various places in the New Testament. Um, The first one is the prodigal son. Remember the prodigal son? He ended up at the pig's eye. And, and finally, finally, when he got so low that he had no place else to turn, here's, here's what the parable says as Jesus teaches it. And when he came to his senses. <laughs> when he came to his senses. I have bad news for you. We're all out of our mind. I mean, we're all out of our mind. Here's another one. Remember when Jesus healed the maniac of Gadara? I mean, he's a wild man. He, he was clearly crazy. Even the rest of us would say, he's crazy. Clearly, he's crazy. 
Here's what it says. When he met Jesus, after meeting Jesus, he was clothed and in his right mind. (laughs) He came to his senses, the prodigal. He was clothed and in his right mind. The demon-possessed man of the Gadarenes. Why? Because Jesus healed their mind. The Sermon on the Mount is Jesus telling us how to heal our minds. That's what what this is. You want to have a healthy brain? You want to have a healthy life? You want to see life as God intended it for for you and I to be living in a fallen world? This is what it looks like. And, And if you can incorporate, if you can, if you can allow God to heal your brain, you will be the happiest person on the planet no matter what happens. Wouldn't that be great? So my prayer is, Lord, heal my brain. Heal my brain so that what you're telling me here doesn't look so strange. In these first 11 verses, it starts off like this. Blessed are the. Blessed are the. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the peacemakers. Those that forgive. Those that know how to go into conflict and know how to create peace. Here's here's the summary of those first 11 verses. Those who live like Jesus are the happiest people on earth. Linda and I have been staying in a lot of hotels and motels, you know, in these last month and a half since we sold our house. By the way, I told the guys yesterday, we're not retired. We're in the serendipity stage of life. People say, what are you going to do today, John? I say, whatever God wants me to do. It's his agenda. It's his plan. But here's one of the things I said to Linda recently. We were at a Marriott in Oak Brook. Because I'm a member and I got free points. So I was using up points. I noticed this, though, in, in most of the hotels. I said, Linda... You know, I looked at her and I said, you know the people that clean our room are happier for the most part than the people who are sleeping in these rooms. Isn't that strange? Because, because we think, you know, having a lot of stuff and possessions and succeeding and titles and we think all that stuff's... No, no, no. It's a, tr- it's a true understanding. You can't be happy unless you have a true understanding of who you are. Those who live like Jesus are the happiest people on earth. It sets up all the remaining commandments. Like if you, if you build off that very first one, you'll understand all the rest. I've already talked about salt and light in verses 13 through 16. And then 17 through 20 of chapter 5, Jesus says, I didn't come to destroy the law. He actually came to stretch the law, to expand the law, to take it from merely external, to drive it home to your heart. He says, I came to fulfill the law. The, the, The people of God, the people of God, 
even in an ungodly government, are the best citizens that a country can possibly have. You know why? Because we, we respect, because we understand that there is no law, that all law comes from God. There are some bad laws, and there are some bad governors, but we understand that there is one God who is in charge of it all. So as Paul says in Romans 13, we can submit. I don't have any problem. I don't have any problem paying my taxes. I'm, all I'm doing nowadays is just like consulting. <laughs> you know, consulting, that means you've got to pay your own taxes. It doesn't get taken out. So I told Linda, I said, I'm writing a big check <laughs> to the government. <laughs> I go, why? Because we obey. We don't cheat. We don't cheat. Uh, don't be angry with people. Don't go around angry. Uh, you know what? This is what they've proven in brain science. A healthy brain can return to joy in 90 seconds. How long after you're angry, how long after you're angry can you return to joy? If you can't, here's why. Because problems are more important for you than relationships. And in the kingdom, in the kingdom, relationships are always more important than any problem. See, in, in, we're going to be married 50 years next year. We've known each other since she was 10 and I was 12. So we know pretty much about everything. And I said to her early on, you know, to know me is to forgive me. So, so you know what? You don't want to know why? Because we value our relationship more than we value anything that we have to face in life. None of it is as important as us. That's, that's the way it is in the kingdom. Remember when Peter miserably failed? Remember that? I mean, you think you've sinned against the Lord? Have you ever denied him in the span of like an hour or two, three times publicly? After the resurrection, Jesus said what? Go and tell my disciples, especially Peter, that I'll meet him in Galilee. Uh, we talked about sexual sin. Not, don't commit sexual sin. Don't even let your eyes wander. Later on it talks about the, the eyes are the lamp of the body. Marketers know that. They know that if they can get you to look, they can probably get you to buy. So just, just learn. Learn to turn away. Learn to turn it off. Um, Marriage, it talks about divorce in verses 31-32. Marriage is important to God because it mirrors the relationship He desires with the church. Do you know that marriage is a picture, and Paul expands on this, it's a picture of what Jesus was going to do when He gave His life for His bride. And that as, as someone who loves us deeply and loves us intimately, and took a bullet on our behalf because of his great love for us. 
That's what a picture of... Whenever you see a, a couple that stays together through thick and thin, whenever you see a couple that loves each other no matter what, here's what you're seeing. You're seeing Jesus and his love for the church. Quickly, he says, let your yes be yes. If you say yes to somebody, it should be yes. You, you shouldn't have to take an oath to, to back it up. I swear on a stack of Bibles. Do I need that? Don't retaliate. We talked about loving your enemies. Do you know, in, in brain science, they've proven that if you don't forgive, you actually burn up synapse in your brain. So in other words, if you don't forgive, you become dumber. You can't think as well. But here's the good news. When you choose to forgive, the brain actually starts building new synapse, new neurons. Why? Because that's the way the, the brain was designed to forgive. That's why. So Jesus knows exactly what he's talking about. Give to the needy. Give to the needy when you see someone. And I know the needy sometimes takes advantage of you, but, but you know, it's like if God moves on your heart to give, you know what I've learned? Do it as quick as you possibly can because you could talk yourself out of it. Give to the needy. Verse chapter 6, 1 through 4. Lay up treasures in heaven. I spent a lot of time on that one. What does it mean to lay up treasures in heaven? What does it mean? Answer that question for yourself. How do you invest in the kingdom of God? How do you invest in the kingdom of God? Lay up treasures in heaven. And then this is kind of what we're going to end up with, and I'm going to cover it quickly. Do you know, I sin every day. And if I don't sin in one of these other areas, I always sin in this area. So listen to what it says. I'm going to actually start reading at verse 25. So chapter 6, verse 25. Guys back there. So I'm going to skip verse 24. Verse 24 is, is really all about money because it's talking about how you're going to acquire stuff and to acquire stuff you're going to have to have money and very easily money can become an issue for you because it helps you acquire stuff so you can you can almost on accident start serving money instead of serving god like who's going to provide for you the stuff you need verse 25 therefore i tell you do not be anxious about your life, and he's talking about your physical life, and when he says anxious, he's talking about obsessing. Obsessing. Worrying so much that you can't get it out of your mind. Don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. So in the ancient days, clothing and food, you know, that was... That was a real issue. Every day it was a real issue for most people. It's not that way. We have, we have refrigerators and pantries and freezers. I, I'm not worried about eating today. I'm maybe over-concerned about what I should be eating or where I should be eating. 
Same with clothing. I can go to my closet. There's all kinds of stuff to wear. But am I going to pick out the right stuff? Am I going to look right? All this is just... This, this just symbolizes all the physical needs that we have in eating and drinking. And, and here's what he's saying. Don't be anxious. Don't obsess about your physical life. And then he says, why? Verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? You know, if you go to Israel, one of the things you find out is, is that it's a, it's a bird expressway. Through the Hula Valley of Israel, the birds from Europe fly to Africa, and then from Africa back to Europe. In fact, it's so bad that Israeli pilots have to, have to be careful about the birds because there's so many of them. So I can picture this, that, that Jesus is saying, <laughs> see the birds of the air? And guess what? God takes care. There are no bird psychiatrists. There, there are no... Birds don't stress out. Why? Because they know that there's enough resources. God takes care of them. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Have you thought about that? All that worry and anxiety that you do? Not only are you not adding, you're actually, you're actually taking away. They've proven that worry and stress and anxiety actually reduce your health which reduces your life. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If you put under a microscope the finest piece of clothing that Solomon had, and you put under that same microscope a, a simple flower of the field, you will see the intricacy intricacy and delicacy of that flower and no piece of clothing can match it verse 30 but if god so clothes the grass of the field which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven will he not much more clothe you O you of little faith <laughs> that's our problem isn't it do you know why do you know why you ask god for the promises you know why you god wants you to come it actually says don't worry about what you have to say to the Father because he already knows what you're going to ask for. So, you know, we think, well, if he already knows what I'm going to ask for, why do I have to ask for it? And the answer is because he makes promises and he promises to take care of his people. And he wants his people to come and ask for him to fulfill those promises, not because he needs the request, but because you need the faith to trust that what he's promised will actually take place. So he is building it. As we make those requests, Lord, take care of me. Provide for me. Provide for my needs. Provide for my family. He's already promised to take care. There are more, you know, God is a God of abundance, not of scarcity. A lot of our leaders today 
are preaching a message of scarcity. God is a God of abundance. There are, there are more than enough resources on this planet to take care of everybody. And God wants his people to go to him and say, Lord, this is what I need. Sometimes people say to me, John, what should I pray? I say, well, what do you want God to do? What is it that you would like God to do? Because you can come boldly before the throne of grace because of Jesus Christ. He's made, he's made access to God wide open. Verse 31, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, the pagans, this is what people without God worry about. The Gentiles, the pagans, for the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. So here's where you should be obsessing. <laughs> here's where you should have anxiety. Here's where you should have worry. This is what you should be doing. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Get it straight. Get everything in order. And here's what you say. Lord, whatever I'm going to eat today is fine. Whatever I'm going to wear today is fine. All my physical needs, you're going to take care of them. I'm going to work hard. By the way, this is not like birds still work. This is not, this is not a message of being lazy lack of industry. It's just saying, go ahead and invest your life. Work hard. Do your best. Improve. Get better. But don't obsess about it. Don't obsess about it. And, and if you're going to have one thought that, that continually is in your heart and mind, you just say, Lord, I want to be like Jesus. I want to hunger and thirst after his righteousness. I want to be clothed with his righteousness. Verse 34, Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. If you knew the trouble that you were going to go through this week, I'm not sure you'd get out of bed tomorrow morning. Because there's stuff out there waiting for you. And... You shouldn't worry about it. It's going to show up either way. But when it shows up, here's what Paul says. God's grace is sufficient. God's grace is sufficient. It's sufficient for today and tomorrow and for the rest of our lives. This is a big question. Is, sin a wor is, is worry a sin? And what's the answer? Yes, it is. I remember saying to my mother, you know, Mom, worry is a sin. She said, I'm not worried, John. I'm just a little concerned. I'll tell you something about what she did. She turned her worry into prayer. She, she was a worry wart at times, but she was a prayer warrior. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. Let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word.
Thank you, Lord, that you cure all of our anxiety. You take care of us. You have, you have obligated yourself to us. And we can trust you, as we sang earlier, that you are a good, good Father. So we thank you for this Father's Day, and we thank you for being our Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name, amen.